Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk about a number of things. Of course, we always like to try to relate uh, to what's going on in the news. And that's a lot these days with a uh, new president in place for the United States and having effect all around the world. Lots of things going on behind the scenes. Lots of distractions are popping up in the news to keep people uh, preoccupied and busy and divided. A lot of division is going on in the country. Of course, always during election time, there's a lot of division. But this is carrying over beyond the election. People aren't coming together and trying to work together or anything. They're still creating factions. And uh, and one of the factions is a kind of fascist uh, faction. And the fascist faction is a bit fascist itself. I mean, when we use a word like fascist, we think of, you know, brown shirts or black shirts, as they call them in Italy. And, uh, you know, marching on Rome to consolidate the government. And uh, there were a lot of fascists um, operating. But what is fascist? You know, it comes from facet, which has to do with this bundle of sticks that are all bound together. And it supposedly makes them stronger because they're all bound together. And then there's this... This axe blade sticking out of them, that's you know, as a kind of a weapon, and uh, that's what Fascist's uh, symbol is. But as the idea of coming together to create a united front, and of course, fascism back in uh, in the day uh, with people like Mussolini was about empire building. Mussolini was going to make Rome great again. And, uh, you know, I pointed out before that a lot of the mannerisms in, in the speeches of uh, Trump were similar to what you saw uh, Mussolini doing. And you could actually look at his speeches. But, you know, when you saw Mussolini by himself, just uh, wearing his suit and, and talking in an interview, he was a very mild-mannered person, very quiet person. The problem with, you know, uh, you know a lot of his ideas were very good. Some of his imperial ideas were very bad. Uh, Some of the essential ideas uh, were absolutely devastating. And I'm not trying to draw a parallel between the two, except Saul was a great guy too, but Saul was corrupted because certain things crept in and poisoned his personality, poisoned his mind. Actually, it caused him uh, to become ill. And it all came from the fact that people gave him power. And people gave him power because people didn't want to accept their personal responsibility. So one of the first things I saw on the news this morning when I got up uh, hours ago was uh, Antifa. And when I first saw this word Antifa, I thought, like, what is that? You know, I had to go look it up. found out it's supposed to stand for anti-fascism. It's supposed to be in opposition to the fascist ideology. It's... Uh, groups and individuals coming together like fascists, you know, the bundle of sticks <laughs> to make themselves strong. And uh, this anti-fascist movement began, you know, actually way back in Europe around 1920. 
and eventually spread uh, to a lot of other countries around the world. The historian Norman Davis, he argues uh, in his uh, book about, uh, you know, the war between 1939 and 1945, that uh, I think it was no simple victory or something like that. Uh, anyway, his anti-fascist does... Uh, offer co- kind of a coherent political ideology um, that uh, talking about these different things like fascism and anti-fascism and everything. But he saw the anti-fascist as, uh, as literally uh, an empty vessel because it had no real solution of its own. It was just anti-fascist. It was against fascism. You know, uh, Davies, he... he, he he went on, made other assertions about the concept of anti-fascism is a mere political dance, he called it, uh, created by Joseph Stalin uh, to spread Soviet propaganda, you know, kind of to justify what they were doing. It kind of gave a false impression to the West that if anything fascist did wrong, anti-fascists must be good. But actually, anti-fascists were not always good. Now, I mean, there were anti-fascists who worked in the underground against the Nazis and all this kind of stuff. Because, again, it's, it, it doesn't have a particular character to it other than it's against fascism. But even fascism, what is fascism? Fascism is this bundling of individuals and, and institutions, uh, often using corporations as a part of that bundle, to obtain power and maybe spread an empire. That doesn't seem to be really so much what Trump is trying to do. He wants to make America great again, too. But he's focusing within the borders of America, although he definitely has corporate ties all over the world and, uh, you know, friends and everything. I'm not talking about him trying to make himself rich or something by becoming president, which most people who become president, even way back, Nixon, you know, he was very poor became uh, vice president. He was almost wealthy after that. And shortly after he became president, he was wealthy, wealthy. So, And the same with Obama. Uh, so it isn't their salary they're making money on. So somehow or other, they're making a lot of money uh, when they become president. You really should have a, uh, a, a system like the kingdom of God, and you wouldn't have maybe this problem. But it would still require, because the kingdom of God is setting people free, it still requires that people take back their responsibility. I, I saw a post just before we came on. You know, there's a number of widows in our network, but they're just on an email network. They're not necessarily in congregations. And the fact is, is that unless they're in a congregation, they're not even with us. You have to be congregating to be with us. You have to be connected to a minister who's connected to other ministers, who's connected to other ministers. That's the way it's worked. And this is one of the things that we brought up in the last few shows, uh, how you make that connection, how you connect with each other. Now, I have widows that live around me. We uh, we have one that uh, somebody's been trying to rob recently. You know, through, you know, phone calls and mail and all this kind of stuff. You know, these these uh, scam predators. And we have people that are watching out for her and helping her and advising her. And uh, we have, you know, my grandkids were down there piling firewood up. Uh, my wife and I were going to go, but uh, I thought it would be another good project for one of our grandkids. So they went down and uh, helped stack wood in her house and along her front door so she doesn't have to worry about it. 
and you know, there's a number of other widows that we deal with all the time. They're not in our congregation, but they happen to be within our reach, so we can we just automatically keep an eye on them. We, can, you know, like I've told before, you know, the people at the store, if if the widow doesn't come in for her mail, somebody goes and checks on her, uh, and we just have this kind of unwritten community spirit that makes those things happen. But when you're spread out like we are in this network, you have to pick a minister. When you're making money, you should be putting money in. Even no matter if it's just a penny, you should be putting that money in to support other widows. So that when you can't make money, there will be other widows or their whatever, their relatives or their friends that say, you know, these people really helped out. And so we'll help them. It's not about amount. It's about, you know, circulation. If you cut off all circulation to a part of your body, you know, if it's your finger or whatever, it dies. That's it. And so you have to keep the flow in circulation. And that was one of the things, uh, the, another the thing that I just posted last night was this uh, Stephen Americo uh, page we actually made an actual page just dedicated to him because he put all this work into a document that he thought was an alternative church uh, structure or document or something and uh, we've spent you know probably today a dozen hours already explaining how he's missing it he it, that's not it what he's describing is not it now we've already spent you know probably I don't know how much, I mean, the, all the hours of people who've put in to make videos, write books, read books, proofread books, uh, articles, publish them. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in time and energy and actually money going out. You know, we've, you know, I've flown to Washington, D.C. several times. I've presented uh, our books to top attorneys to look at to see if what we're doing is legal. I've uh, gone and met with uh, Bible scholars and, and pastors all over the country presenting what we have found. And I can't find anybody who has an argument against it, except they don't like it or they are afraid to go that way. Uh they they don't have, you know, I mean, I found a lot of people who are very receptive and thought it was fascinating and agreed with it. But, again, that's not enough to be against it or be for it, but not do anything. Not, you know, join an assembly. Congreg See, you don't become a member of a congregation. We don't like that word member because you're not... It's not an unincorporated association. This is a discussion I had with attorneys many times because they kept trying to flip into the unincorporated association. They couldn't quite get their mind around. The church is a corporation of Christ. It's the body, the corpus of Christ. It belongs to Christ. The congregant doesn't necessarily belong to Christ. He's seeking the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And he's saved by grace. But the ministers, the ordained ministers have to actually belong to Christ. They can fake that. They can say they belong to Christ. And, and Jesus tells us that many will say they are the church. But he's going to say to them, many are going to say that. You know, get you from me. I know you're not. Why? Because they're not really doing what he says. So we emphasize what he said all the time and try to get people to do that. 
to do what he said. And we're told in the Bible, you know, not forsaking our, to assemble ourselves together. If if you don't forget others, we won't forget you. But people are constantly, you know, they're they're off in their little religious idea. They make their little friends around them, their little congregation around them, their little home church, and they meet with them. And they find that that's not adequate as they get older. <laughs> you know, the, you know the, there isn't the real bond. You have to be casting your bread upon the waters. You have to be coming together in a network. Not a bundle of sticks tied together with corporate agreements and contracts and all the stuff. The fascist sticks. Remember those? You know, you got like 50 sticks all tied together with these leather straps. In the fascist, the fascist symbol. We don't have those leather straps. We have faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. And so in order for you to be remembered in the minds and hearts of those seeking the kingdom, you have to remember them when you're young and you're working and you're making uh, a living. You have to remember them. We don't care about amounts, but we care about circulation. You know, I know some people whose natural heartbeat is around 70 beats per minute. Naturally. You know, that's that's just their heart. They just have high heart rate beat. I know other people have a heart rate beat that barely makes it to 60. And that's natural for them. That's just the way they are. That's the way they're built. But there's still a soul in that body. But if that heart stops beating <laughs> and the circulation stops flowing, they're all dead. <laughs> they just die. The seed of the soul is the blood, Moses says. And the blood must flow. So if you want to be a part of the body, you have to flow in that body, with that body. Be a part of that body. Be in an email group, that don't cut it. That just don't cut it. You have to be a part of that. You have to bind yourself together, not with contracts, not by forcing people, but with love for one another. And you don't see that love, the bonds of love. You don't see them. They're not like leather straps. They're not like contracts we can hold up. So what we hold up is you fill out a sacred purpose trust, a declaration of sacred purpose. You give something into a congregation and you're a part of that congregation. And you give regularly. Just like your blood, your heartbeat flows regularly. And it's up to you. Nobody's going to make you do it. No, no Levites were forcing the tithings of the people, the free will offerings of the people. That's why they call them free will offerings. Because <laughs> they were your choice. But if you don't make that choice, don't make no complaints. Because you, you haven't got a leg to stand on. But anyway, let's look back at these fascist things that are going on. Fascist state, you know, I, I'll, I'll read you something that Benito said. Uh, fascist state is a will to power and empire. It's a will to power and empire. It's a will to exercise authority one over the other. Whether it's a group of states or one state. I mean, it's kind of like federalism. Federalism was, you know, the states, even after the acceptance of the Constitution of the United States and the implementation of that Constitution of the United States, you know, with there was only 13 states back then. The states were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. They were separate countries. People don't realize that. That's Clark's summary of U.S. American law. That's one of the most foundational, fundamental books in the study of American law, including constitutional law. They have a whole chapter on constitutional law. That the states were foreign countries. 
they were bound together with just certain powers that they granted, the states granted, not the people, never put to a vote of the people. It was unpopular amongst the people. Had the Constitution been put to a vote of the people, it would have been voted down. Most people don't know that. They don't know a lot of things about history because they went to public school, because they didn't take the responsibility of educating themselves or their children. They went to somebody else and wanted to force their neighbor to pay for their education. They got an education, learned how to read and write, maybe. Uh, they learned how to add a column of numbers. Uh, maybe they went on to become nuclear scientists, but they don't know history. They don't know how they got to where they are today. Because they don't know history, they're doomed to repeating the same mistakes. And those mistakes are going to come out of your hearts because of the flow of your hearts. You, your heart is not flowing for the love of others, to forgive others. Your heart is flowing to get your stuff, to, to be comfortable, to feel righteous. And so, I mean, that's why, why people go to church. They want to feel righteous. They want to feel saved. It's all about them. They, they're not coming in the Spirit of Christ. Christ didn't come to be saved, but to save others. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve others. That's a certain kind of person. And that's a rare kind of person. The rare kind of person comes to sacrifice their life. And, and God has created a whole system called the family and, and society where you get the chance to try to do that. I mean, a woman has a baby. She's sacrificing herself to raise that child. A husband is a husband of a family. He goes out and works to support that family. That's why ministers should come from men who produce families. Husbands of one wife. You know, who have raised their children. You couldn't even become a, what they call the Levite. You might be of that tribe, but you wouldn't even be expected to do anything until you were 25 years old. Well, you probably already had three four kids by then. <laughs> In those days, the people got married at 16. Fifteen. Young men were out working, uh, making a living at fifteen. So, but you couldn't become, start participating in the duties of a Levite until you were 25, but you could retire at 50. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, from manual labor, because then you had raised a family, you had uh, learned the ropes, and now you knew what it was to be a Levite, which was the priesthood of the nation. They were facilitating a network that took care of the widows and orphans, education, etc. We're going to talk about that education thing and how that should have been done if you were real Christians. But anyway, let's just keep looking. I said I was going to read something that old Benito Mussolini said. And he said, The fascist state is a will to power and empire. The Roman tradition is here a powerful force. According to the doctrine of fascism, empire is not only territorial or military or mercantile concept, but a spiritual and moral one. This is Benito Mussolini. One can think of an empire that is a nation which directly and indirectly guides other nations without the need to conquer a single square kilometer of territory. Now, it'd be interesting to know when he actually said that because he definitely went out and was just trying to conquer things in Ethiopia <laughs> so, and a lot of other places besides. 
But, uh, and, and certainly Hitler was too. And he was, you know, clearly aligned with Hitler. Um, but what was, it doesn't start out that way. It starts out as, you know, the National Fascist Party. Which, you know, we say fascist and right away we think something bad. You know, police state, all this kind of stuff. But they just saw the fascists as people coming together. You know, uh, to to do something. But if you don't define what you're really doing and the principles by which you're doing it, it can become something else. And we see hedging in this idea of the doctrine of fascism something else. You know, the idea of spiritual and moral coming together, great. But what were the other things that slipped in there that were not great? And of course, you know, uh, they had a constitution and everything. And their constitution was totally, totally unbiblical uh, in, in Italy. And of course, all of you have read it, studying history, right? <laughs> you didn't read the, the, the National Fascist Party's constitution? Oh, you didn't read that? Nobody ever taught you anything about that? So you don't even know what a fascist is. You don't even know what they were thinking. You wouldn't even know if you were supporting a fascist government or not. And yet we have guys running around being Antifa, which, of course, you know, I just pointed out that, you know, Stalin was, you know, anti-fascist. Uh, but it was a mere political dance, an empty vessel, etc. It didn't know what it was doing. It, it was actually composed of thin-minded people who, who don't really have the big picture. So anyway, uh, you know, Mussolini had, Mussolini had this uh, political expression of fascism and, uh, and it evolved during the time between 1922 and 1943 when they were in power. I wanted to, you know, I'm really going to be talking about charity, but you have to kind of talk about it in the context of reality and history. And so we're, you don't, most of you have no idea about your past history. So I have to bring that up and kind of show you where those holes are in your thinking. And then we're going to take you to the solution. But we'll do that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom, and we're looking at the, the rise of Benito Mussolini in order to get a picture of what's actually going on today, and we're going to go into some of the things that we see going on today, but then we're going to get into what the actual solution is, which is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which most people have no clue of what that means to do. That was a direct command of Jesus Christ. And he said, if you did that, everything else would be resolved. You know, the all the problems of widows and orphans, the problems of totalitarian dictatorships. I mean, you have no idea how completely thoroughly those things would be resolved. 
if you were actually seeking that. You know, that's what I always hear from, you know, the communists of today, which a lot of your... Uh, uh, your Antifa people are communists. Uh, some of them are, think they're socialists, but uh, some of them actually want communism. But not, they don't even have a clue what they're talking about. They they often say, we try to point out the failures of communism, and they say, well, they weren't trying real communism. <laughs> but these guys, they actually have an inability to put uh, ideas together and you know connect them. They just they're slogan people. They have lots of slogans. I mean, there were lots of slogans in the days of uh, the rise of Mussolini. Uh, Viva il Duce. Long live the leader. El Duce. You know, but actually it's long live the ruler. They're looking for men who exercise authority, who can rule over us, and they want to put them into power. And Jesus said, we were not to be that way. This is in Italy. One of the most Catholic nations, supposedly Christian nations, you know, are in Europe. And they are looking for a leader to exercise authority one over the other to take care of them. Yet Jesus said it was not to be that way with you if you're going to be a follower of Christ. They don't even see the connection because their ministers hadn't been teaching them that. I mean, they certainly don't teach that in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has been crowning leaders over other people, rulers over other people for almost a thousand years now. You know, they've been putting the crowns on the head of men to rule over other men. Yet Jesus said it was not to be that way with us. And of course, it isn't that way with the Catholic Church. They just crown other men. They are empire builders. (laughs) But now, I don't want to pick on the poor Pope. You know, he's hiding behind his wall there in the Vatican. (laughs) Telling other people they shouldn't build walls. And uh, every time I hear that, I always think of uh, the people during the Peloponnesian Wars when the Athenians went up and tried to talk them into building a wall around their city to protect them uh, and, of course, borrow money from the Athenians to do so. (laughs) Yes, you have to borrow money because walls cost money. They said, we are our walls. You know, we talk, that's in the news, we'll talk about, want to build a wall between us and Mexico. Uh, Mexico has walls and borders and rules. If we had put the rules that Mexico has for illegal immigrants into play, I mean, if you're caught as an illegal immigrant, it's two years to ten years in jail in Mexico. And their jails aren't as nice. They don't get TV in their jails. (laughs) You could be brutally beat (laughs) on the street. And uh, deported uh, rapidly, if you even survive deportation. They are ruthless with illegal immigrants. I mean, they got an American who just got lost driving around out in the desert. And he crossed over the border somewhere. And uh, they put him in jail. He wasn't even trying to be an illegal immigrant. He just got lost. <laughs> and he was out four-wheeling. And uh, they caught him on his si- their side. I mean, they are ruthless. So, you know, see these guys talking, you know... You know, the president of Mexico, what a bunch of hypocrisy. But anyway, not that there isn't hypocrisy on both sides of the border. But uh, the reality is, is that, you know, they said we should be building bridges, not walls. Well, the fact is the United States built the bridges. They just want the people to use the bridges. (laughs) So they're building a wall to make them go through the bridge. In other words, enter the country legally. Of course, I'm really against all that. I don't think any of that is the solution. Uh, bridges, walls, or anything. 
what we had to should do and must do in order to succeed, which we probably don't have the will in America to do, is to do away with welfare. Absolutely across the board, no state welfare in any form whatsoever, including which would extend eventually to public schools because public school is welfare. It would eventually extend even to Social Security, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, all those things. It would extend to those things because all those things are bankrupt. They're failed, unrighteous mammon, and they're not going to work. But I don't want to do away with those things. I want to do away with the need for those things. If you just did away with those, it would be terrible. People would be starving and dying and, you know, left and right all over the country. They would not be able to even make it. And, and because there is no, there is very little right, righteousness left in America. Because nobody's been seeking the kingdom. Certainly the churches out there, the preachers out there, they're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They're not seeking, uh, they're not, almost none of them have a daily ministration. Oh, they'll have some food kitchen somewhere that feeds people who are totally irresponsible. It might feed some people that need help, but they're feeding, they're weakening people. They're feeding the bears, so to speak. And they're weakening them. They're not strengthening them. I mean, we used to have charity in this country that did that. But that we haven't had that for to any great extent for almost 100 years now. Certainly 50 years. And we're seeing that we're paying that price. But anyway, the if you did away with that, you would illegal immigration would not be a problem anymore. Uh, if you were seeking the kingdom of God and you were creating the network required, people were joining assemblies, you know, joining with assemblies and taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity and get rid of all this ridiculous religious rhetoric that doesn't have anything to do with pure religion. What pure religion is about compassion and caring about one another, about strengthening the poor, about setting the table of the Lord and being there for the true widow and orphan who who needs help and whoever is needy in society who needs help. I mean, basically, why they say widows and orphans all the time is because families should be taking care of families. But occasionally families need help because, you know, part of their family is broken down or there's a difficulty, you know, somebody's sick, somebody's ill, somebody's injured, and they need help. If we were focusing on that and helping those who want to help themselves and work themselves and generate an income, that takes care of their family, you know, an income from the earth and take care of their family and the families next to them and the families in a network of love, America would not have any of the problems that it has today. You would have a a dome of protection over the entire nation. That's gone. That is gone. We are not protected by that anymore. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And you're not doing anything about it because you're not really gathering together in the character of Christ, in the name of Christ, in the way of Christ. you got your head full of uh, loony religious ideas that don't do anything that the first century church was doing. So anyway, the fascists had all kinds of other things. You know, long live death. That was another one of their great mottos. Viva la muerte. What actually was really, they didn't want you all to die. You were supposed to be willing to even sacrifice yourself unto death. And of course, you know, he who lays down his life for his fellow man, no greater love has has that man shown. So it, that's tied with the same principles of Christ. It just depends on how you accept it. You know, I mean, these are these are slogans that you used to hear from Mussolini and and fascists. You know, another one: believe, obey, and fight. You know, that that's a little less 
Christ-like, but <laughs> believe is in there. <laughs> you know, they want you to believe. Believe in what? Remember, it's a spiritual and moral movement. Trying to move you back. There was a lot of corruption going on in society, both in, in Germany. I mean, the, you know, uh, cabaret, uh, the promiscuity, uh, the immorality, and of course, that, that's one of the reasons that the Nazis rose to power, is they said they were going to do something about that. But unfortunately, what they were going to do about that was not what Christ said, but it was this looking to men who exercise authority. And lo and behold, the men who exercise authority became immoral. I mean, what happened to David? David, great guy, great moralist, Great defender of righteousness and the weightier matters, but you gave him power and he's sleeping with Bathsheba. You know, he tried to do right eventually by that and everything, but he's plotting the death of Bathsheba's husband, everything, because power corrupts. Nothing can come out of getting an El Duce, a leader who's going to make you great again. Leaders do not make you great again. They allow you to remain ungreat. So anyway, one of the things that we see that is part of the morality of fascism is in one of their other slogans, which is everything in the state, nothing outside the state, nothing against the state. Now, you have to remember that word state that we see, the stato in Italian. It didn't necessarily mean exactly what you think it means today, but it's close enough. And this is why uh, Mussolini said, you know, fascism is the only liberty which can be a serious thing. The liberty of the state and of the individual in the state. Therefore, the fascist, everything is in the state. And no human or spiritual thing exists or has any sort of value outside of the state. This is Mussolini. In in this sense, fascism is totalitarian. And the fascist state, which is the synthesis and unity of every value, interprets, develops, and strengthens the entire life of the people. Now, there's fascism. But again, fascism is that bundle of sticks bound together by leather thongs that are strapped around, you know, thick leather thongs. Binding them together. That's contracts, covenants, and constitutions binding you together. The kingdom of heaven is bound together by love. It has a form. And we see that form in the early church. We see it in early Israel. We see it in many of the free nations throughout Europe. Way back in ancient history. Well, I say we see it. We who have actually studied history see it. (laughs) You people who went to public school, you probably don't see it. But you see certain ideas popping up in this fascist state of Mussolini as it was rising to power. You know, another slogan, if if I advance, follow me. If I retreat, kill me. If I die, avenge me. So, you know, these are, you know, and they had another one, Mine um, Frego. Uh, I don't give a damn. That's the way that translates. Uh, so I'm just translating the Italian for you. But anyway... You know, and, and they say things like liberty is not a right, it's a duty. So they have the idea of responsibility, but they poison it with the idea of ruling over one another. 
You know, and I, I've got articles that show that Jesus Christ was an anarchist. I mean, it, you can see it right there in his, his command to us. We are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who, whose rulers, princes, exercise authority one over the other. That means no ruler. The, you know, Peter wasn't a ruler over the people. He, that makes him an anarchist, because that's what anarchism actually means, is no ruler. It doesn't mean chaos. It doesn't mean running through the streets and breaking ATMs and windows at coffee shops and all these kinds of things. Anarchist means he doesn't want to have somebody ruling over him, but he doesn't want people ruling, he doesn't want to rule over other people. And most of the, what you see calling itself anarchists today, they want to rule over everybody. But they're the, those empty Antifa vessels that really don't have a plan. <laughs> they're, just, they're just mad and they're hitting people with sticks and spraying people and, and uh, you know, picking on girls. I mean, it's just ridiculous. They, they're just obscene. But that's what you're going to get. That, that, that brutality, you, you see that rising up. And historians saw it coming to Rome 200 years before the first emperor. Or at least 150 years before the first emperor. And they wrote about it. And we quote them. You go read Polybius on our website. What did Polybius say? Because that's what you're seeing. This is the product of socialism. Uh, America is not a capitalist nation. Anymore. It hasn't been capitalist for almost 100 years now. It's been... And it's been growing more and more socialist all the time. And that's where all your problems are coming from. Well, actually... That's the instrument of your problems. The problem is, is you're not really seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You're not, you're not seeking the perfect law of liberty, so therefore you will not be free. You're slothful in the ways of God. But you don't even know what they are because your preachers are out there tickling your ears. And so anyway, we end up with this, uh, what's happening now is a divide and conquer mentality. You know, this whole idea of a dialectic. Needs two sides. You need a fascist side and you need an anti-fascist side. You need, uh, you know, you need these opposing forces. And this is what we're seeing uh, taking place. But how do you step out of that so you're not a part of any one of those two forces? That you become immune to the conflict that they are creating. You know, I, I knew a minister and I hope he comes back as a minister of the church eventually. He's kind of off there seeking his own thing right now and uh, he has to work these things out but he once was in the middle of a crowd of uh, two people I think it was uh, I think it was uh, pro-life and uh, pro-choice people I'm not sure I can't remember that was irrelevant it was two opposing dialectic forces and they were yelling at each other and everything it may have been something a little bit more violent but he actually was standing in between the two and he said he could feel the energy flowing from these two groups and of course he was in the midst of this dialectic. Well, this, uh, this storm of conflict, which is what we see rising and, and filtering around. And people get real cocky because these uh, Antifa people are so pathetic. And, but the reality is, is behind the scenes, all over America, on, on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, in the news media, people are being polarized in creating these two uh, factions. And emotionalized in this. And they're in their, in their houses and in their living rooms and in their cars. 
They're extending energy outside of themselves in this conflict. They get angry. They get, they throw fits. They throw temper tantrums. Uh, they, and, and right now, you know, all the ones who were on the other side get to gloat and say, well, I told you so, and you lost the election and all this kind of stuff. But really, what you see is a polarization taking place in society. And it's energizing something that's more malevolent than you can imagine. And it's coming to America. It's coming to the whole world. You're not ready for it because you haven't been seeking the kingdom of God in his righteousness. You haven't been loving one another. You haven't been organizing, coming together in a fachet bound by love. You haven't been doing that. Yeah, if you have been sitting on our email networks for years now and you have not actually signed up, when I say signed up, I mean given, born witness, become a part of the warp and weft of the covering of the church by actually sitting down with other people and caring about one another. And I'm not talking about sitting in the same room where you can all kind of scratch each other back and feel good and have... Uh, you know, frappes together and all this kind of stuff. I'm talking about actually on your own as an individual, stick in the fetchet, care about others. Because that's what you're bound together with is care and love and charity and hope that it will be there for you. And you cast your bread upon the waters. It doesn't have to be a lot, a penny, a dime, a nickel or whatever. But you have to, you know, I mean, as you give, so shall you be given to. As you forgive, so shall you be forgiven. So, I mean, if you you can give more and you don't, well, expect the same back. Don't complain if people don't give back to you. You, you weren't giving when you had. You, you need to be fruitful. Plant yourself. Don't be lazy. Don't sit around and do nothing. Don't say, I'm weak. If you care, that's enough. You need to care in a way. Care about yourself. Care about your own health. Are you eating right? Are you exercising right? Are you working? Are you producing? Or are you not? You know, I I saw this last week several stories. Um, There was a guy who, a guy who, uh, he weighed like 400 pounds and he was in a, he was a trucker and he lost that weight. Almost had his name there for a second. He did it with a certain diet. Well, most people don't know that he went back and gained all that weight back again. And uh, why he did that, we'll talk about that in the next show. He now, again, lost it again. <laughs> so, <laughs> But there's an error in his approach. I mean, his diet was a good idea and everything, but there's something missing in his approach. And we're going to talk about this because... You lose your individuality if you depend upon the other sticks to give you strength. You have to be strong on your own. You know what? The reason I tell people that we come together to learn to stand alone. And in order to do that, you have to come together in a certain way. And that way happens to be the way of Christ. Individually, you have to take on all your personal responsibilities of taking care of yourself and take care of others. This is why... The ministry usually came from family men is because they learned that sacrifice required in taking care of their own children, their their wife, the forgiveness required to maintain a marriage and to stick it out, the humility that's required to do what you need to do to make a family work. And it doesn't mean you'll do it perfectly. 
But there are lessons to be learned in that. What has America forgot that has led it to this precipice is uh, they forgot how to live by faith, hope, and charity. Charity. The word charity there is also translated love. They forgot to live how to live by love. They like to think they love, but they don't really love as much. And they need to love in a uniform way, according to the character of Christ. And this is what the early church was learning. This is what the early church was doing. And many of the people in America, this is what made America great. It was not the presidents. It was not the Constitution. Constitution, I mentioned the Constitution of Italy, which you haven't read, but the Constitution of the United States. Did you know that there are five basic principles we are told to write down in a Constitution if we elect a leader who can exercise authority? The Bible tells us to put these five things in writing and read them to your leader every day. Only one of them is in the Constitution. And we don't even pay attention to that one. But anyway, another little point here we'll get in this side of the show is that somebody was saying that President Trump was, he's running the United States as if he's a CEO. You know, what does CEO stand for? Chief Executive Officer. What is the president? (laughs) The chief executive officer of the United States. He's the executive branch, right? He's the chief of the executive branch of the United States. (laughs) He's supposed to be the CEO. What the heck? I don't get it. Uh, I don't think there's salvation in what the United States is doing. I don't think the United States is seeking the United States for a solution, is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But it's out there. It's it's the reality. You're under that king, that ruler, that chief executive officer, that CEO. And you're under the gods of that corporation, which is the Supreme Court. They're going to decide what is good and evil for you. <laughs> and you're under the lawmakers, which is your Congress and your Senate. That's what you've created. Now, if you want relief, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what we're going to tell you when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.
Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. We're talking about this uh, fascism, which is this bundling of sticks with a leather uh, binder which is just symbolic of the fact that people bundle themselves together in nations and they use certain things to bind them together in that nation. And the nature of those bonds determines the nature of the vachet, the the bundle. Because the kingdom of heaven is a bundle too, but our bonds are different than that of the world. And this is what this is the whole thing that Christ was teaching us is how to assemble together in his name, in his character, in his way. And that was a way of not force, but a way of love. You know, they said, oh, well, Jesus forced the money changers out of the temple. Well, he had, he was the king. He had been hailed as king the day before or a few days before. Highest son of David, that means you're the king. He's been called the Christ, which means the anointed. That's the king. And he comes into Jerusalem and he's seen... In the royal treasury, the Gastaphone instructing the ministers. Why? Because he's the king. And you, your preachers all miss this. You think he's still out there in the street as some sort of dusty-footed preacher trying to tell people to repent in their hearts and think a different way. Well, he did want you to think a different way, but he wanted you to act a different way. But he was actually king. When he was baptized by John the Baptist, he was set on the road becoming the new high priest. Because John the Baptist was literally the rightful high priest according to Hebraic law because his father was the high priest when he was murdered. But you don't know these things because you don't study history. And so because he was murdered actually in the temple, the temple was now defamed. And the temple was only built by Herod anyway. The temple is not made of stones and wood. (laughs) The temple is something. the, The stones and wood are the symbol of the temple. And actually, the original symbol of the uh, temple was a tent. But it's still the tent is a symbol. You know, when they tell you about gathering all the tents around the tabernacle, you know, how how all the tribes are to put their tents around the tabernacle, that almost never happened. These people had to be spread out all over the countryside. They weren't all in one big group. They In those deserts, they'd run out of feed for their animals in about a day. <laughs> they were all in one place. They were spread out. When they were even traveling, they got, you get these pictures of them all marching in a single line. They didn't do that. They were spread out. They may have had manna, but their sheep had to eat grass. <laughs> their cattle had to eat. They were spread out, but they were networked together. And they could call for aid. That's just why they had the horns wasn't some ceremony thing, you know. It was it was practical. Everything, the feasts were practical. Everything was practical. It was about survival. But it was also about a culture that changed the people. Now, some of the people didn't want to be changed by their culture, so they would leave. And some of the people that were that they came across would say, I want a part of that, which is why you see all kinds of Israelites who were actually from other nations. They joined the Israelites. And they wanted to be a part of what they did. I'm sure many of the people did not go back to Sodom. They stayed with Abraham. Many of the people who came out of Ur and came out of Haran, 
the it actually refers to many souls followed Abraham because he was following a different way, a different culture, a different religion, a different way of taking care of one another. Not like Nimrod, not like Cain, not like the king of Sodom, not like Mussolini, <laughs> not like Trump. You know, I don't want to pick on Trump because he's actually alive. But the idea of having your leaders provide for your welfare and your benefits. That's going to take you down a road to tyranny. That's going to bring you under tribute, which is already where you're at because you've been doing that for over 100 years in America. For that, in America, we were doing something else. We were still fachets. We were still gathered together as a people, but we weren't bound by social security numbers, you know, which is literally the mark of the beast, whether you want to believe it or not. Go read our article on the detailed study of the mark of the beast. That's the number you get. And with that number, you can be a part of the state. And if we get to the point where Mussolini says nothing outside of the state has any value and you don't have that number, you're outside of the state. <laughs> And I know a lot of guys who want to get rid of the number and they throw it out the window and they become absolutely destitute and they depend upon everybody else and they want to live in everybody else's house and they aren't getting their own act together because they aren't seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Jesus warned against that. He said, you know, like, you know, if you owe Caesar, pay Caesar. You know, the unrighteous mammon, be friends with it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and prepare the table of the Lord. Simply trying to be out of the system is not trying to seek the kingdom. It requires work. Believe me. Expenditure of... It requires sacrifice. If you're coming in the name of God, God in the name of Christ, you're not sacrificing. You're not doing it right. If you're not having fun sacrifice, you're still not doing it right. <laughs> so anyway, Jesus was the king. He fired the money changers. He did not appoint new money changers. Because way back in the days of David, David had the right to fire the money changers because he was king. And this is the highest son of David. The money changers were the porters of the temple. How do you pick them then? Well, God picks them. How does God work picking them? He picks them through your heart because the kingdom of heaven is within you. So you have to assemble together and choose the minister Who's going to choose the minister? Who's going to choose the minister? Who's going to choose the porters of the temple? Self-organizing from the bottom up. You have to do that. That's your responsibility. That's the weightier matters of tending to law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Not looking for rulers who are going to make you great again. You have to become great by taking back your responsibilities. This is what Christ was doing. And this is what we've laid out as a system by which you could do that. We call it religion, but we also call it pure religion. And you have to actually gather together and care about not only the widows in your little congregation and the orphans in your little congregation and the needy in your little congregation, but those in the next congregation. And congregations a thousand miles away. You have to care about people you don't even know. You have to love those who don't even know who you are. That's loving those who don't love you. They don't know you. And you have to cast your bread upon the waters in hope. So that's what that's all about. And, you know, we explained and we just put up a whole page on um, this fellow who put up this other alternative form of government. 
And on it, there's, uh, right now, there's nine hours of audio, I think, uh, probably ten, uh, that goes through his, do- I mean, he has these big, long documents he wants us to go through. We went to him, and we explained why they're, he's missing it. That's not it. And we explain what it is, <laughs> how it works. And if you decide not to become a part of these congregations of record, that are actually starting to learn what it means to care about one another as much as they care about themselves. And then you find yourself in trouble 10 years later, 20 years later. And you say, well, they're not helping me. And they've never, ever become a part of a network that is there to help others. Why do you expect us to help you? Now, we might help you. But you better come with a little bit different attitude. You may come with your hat in your hand and say, I should have been helping you all along. And I didn't. And I'm, I was wrong for that. And I'm ashamed of that. <laughs> I mean, I mean oh, that's the, the spirit that we have to see in you. But there's always the spirit of, why aren't people helping me? Because it's all about me. Well, it isn't all about you. Christ didn't come because it was all about him. He came, he knew they would abandon him. He knew they would crucify him, and he still came. <laughs> he didn't like the idea, but he still did it. You don't come together, expect to die alone. Expect to. You don't care about the liberty of others, the freedom of others, the righteousness of others. Expect to be under tribute. You should be in bondage. That's why God lets you create these governments to oppress you because you didn't care about others as much as you cared about yourself. Write it down. (laughs) That's the way it works. I can't do anything about it. I can't change the reality of that. So anyway, we we put up a whole page and uh, you can, if you join the network, you can see it and... uh, and go down through step by step. We go through everything. And there's so many different, you know, we explain what the paperwork is. It's just giving us covering so that we can do the job that Christ sent us to do. To create that network of faith, open charity that will actually help you in hard times. We're not at hard times yet. And some of you are having a little bit of a hard time, but it's not that bad yet. People think the reason we're in such a mess is because of the system. The reason you're in such a mess is because you haven't been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's that because you haven't really repented. You're not really thinking like Christ. You you got your religion, but I mean, it's it's people are always looking for lines of authority. They're looking for some I don't have any authority. I'm naked when it comes to authority. I can't make you do or anybody else do what they ought to do. You have to decide you're going to do it. Not for what you can get out of it, but for what you can give to lay down your life in that sacrifice. Now, you get to choose how to do that and who you you support or encourage or, or, or uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, you don't send it to me. You get together in a local congregation as local as possible, which is why we created that network, and you start giving. And you you test your minister. We're all for asking questions on the network to figure out that this. most of you have no idea how all this works together. But you could find out. You could work together and find out. 
So what is it that we're really missing in this country is charity. Like I said, if you did away with Social Security, you did away with public school, you did away with welfare, you did away with all these programs that are just pulling in the wrong kind of people into your country. You know, the greedy people. I mean, you got these... You, and I don't want to pick on Muslims either, but you got an element of the... There's a huge amount of very charitable Muslim Muslim people. And most Muslims are Muslims because they were invaded by Muslims and everybody had to become a Muslim because it's part of their religion. You have to become a Muslim or they persecute you. So they've become Muslims. They're not very good Muslims, they're, but they are very good people. They're not... That's actually a quote from a Muslim who said that. Most Muslims are good people because they're very bad Muslims. Because they don't do what Muhammad said to do, which is rape and pillage and conquer and oppress anybody who doesn't follow their version of Sharia law. Sharia law is just the law is interpreted by them. And of course, the, the Pharisees interpreted the law of Moses and they had it wrong. That was their Sharia of the law. That was their interpretation of the law. Christ interpreted and many of the Essenes interpreted the law and they had it right what the law was really meaning. And today we have problems with that, still today, with people in there. You know, they think that it's the ritual and the ceremony that gives life. No! <laughs> it's the spirit that gives life. The ritual and the ceremony are simply metaphors and allegories and and uh, symbols of this the spiritual precept. And if you don't get that, you'll probably make up excuses like we don't have to tithe because we don't raise any sheep. And tithing was always sheep or cattle or something from the ground. Yet you eat meat and vegetables and fruits and everything and grains that come from the ground while you make your living. But you don't share any of your living <laughs> with the network. You keep all the money in your pocket because you have turned the symbols of the ritual into that which you worship instead of the principle, which is what God gives you through the earth, you share with the nation and the national priesthood, which was the Levites. And why do you need a national priesthood? Because if you don't have a national priesthood, you're a stick out in the woods, <laughs> hiding at the end of the road, trying to survive the Holocaust to come. But you're just that lone reed out there. Because you're not bound together by love. Because you don't want to give anything. Because you don't raise sheep and cows. And so therefore you don't have to tithe. All You never see the word charity in the Old Testament. You see free will offering. You see oblation. You see sacrifice. You see offering. You see tithing. All those things are charity. <laughs> and that charity is the same word in the Greek that we see for love. And the word we see for grace is the word charis. Which is what we get where we get the word charity from the word grace. You have no grace for anybody else if you're making up excuses why you don't have to tithe. You're, you're, you're missing cherish. <laughs> and you're not going to get grace. You're, and I, I, I joke about it, but I'm not joking. I'm warning you. Because I'm the watchman on the wall that tells you, you better start getting serious about seeking, seeking the kingdom. So, anyway, uh, well, if we look out in the world today, there's a war on charity. And the way they're fighting the war is they're saying, don't you worry about it, we'll take care of it. In other words, we're from the government, we'll take care of the charity that is your responsibility to exercise for your neighbor. 
so that you bind your nation together by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You don't have to worry about that anymore. We'll take care of it. Now they've just divided you from Christ if you let them do that. And you have let them do that. They didn't force that on you. You have let them do that. You know, most of the supposedly compassionate welfare states have a dismal level of charitable giving. Voluntary social expenditures in major European nations, such as France, Germany, Italy, Italy, Spain, averages less than 2% of the GDP. Well, it should be at least 10% if they're tithing. (laughs) But they are tithing, but they're tithing in the form of taxation because they have looked to men who exercise authority one over the other, and those men don't wait for the tithe. They'll kick in your door if you don't give it. Those are the priests of your nation, men of force. Benefactors who exercise authority. The fathers of the state. The fathers of the earth. They are your priests. You have your priests. They maintain order. You don't, you, you're not a free nation. You want to get back to a free nation, you have to change that 2% of GDP to at least 10%. I, I tell you, if they did that, Europe would change overnight. But they're not doing that. And they're choosing not to do that. And America is getting farther and farther away from... Who do you think is the most... Is, is According to you know international surveys... Is the most charitable nation in the world? Unless somebody has told you... You will not guess... Who the most charitable nation in the world is. Because it's not the United States. It's Minma. And most of you don't even know what Minma is. <laughs> some, some people call it Minamar... Uh, it used to be known as Burma. Burma is, by all the all the surveys, uh, comes up as the most charitable nation in the world per capita. I mean, it doesn't give more than all the other nations, but it's a very small nation. But the charity in the people, the giving in the people, is higher in there than anywhere else in the world. Now, why would that be? Well, one reason is is that they they have a kind of Buddhist background, and Buddha. Actually, you know, Buddha himself, not all Buddhists, but Buddha himself, actually many of his teachings were right in line with Jesus Christ. He was 400 years before Christ, but they were right in line with Jesus Christ. Now, people have been messing with his religion as much as they've been messing with the religion of Christ. So, you know, it has all, I mean, there are actually Buddhists out there that are hunting people down and killing them. Uh, So, there's a wide variety of whatever Buddhism is supposed to be. But Buddha himself wasn't too bad of a guy. Uh, you know, it wasn't anything like Muhammad, you know, who was, you know, had all kinds of slaves and and wives and went around beheading people all the time. And, you know, he was a ruthless dictator. Just, I mean, that's his record. I didn't make it up. But, of course, they say he's a prophet of God and, and all this stuff. But uh, saying it don't make it so. But anyway, Mimma, uh, Minma. Uh, is uh, uh, is this most charitable nation? Why is that? Buddhism partially that influence, but another part of that is the fact that they've been absolutely war torn and under dicta- uh, military dictatorship for a long time, and they don't get benefits. They uh, they don't have public school and stuff. So if you want to have your children educated, which they know is important, you need to go to the temples, and they provide the education. 
And so, therefore, they receive a great many more of the contributions of the people. They're, you can't go to the government because the government's liable to hit you in the head with a stick, although some of that's changing. But they've been forced to come together and take care of one another, protect one another, and help one another, uh, often in nonviolent ways. And so, therefore, they have been, the, the situation in their country has caused them to reawaken their personal charity towards one another. And so when you look at, uh, you know, charts of uh, personal giving, etc., that they uh, have for, you know, these these countries, uh, you'll see that, uh, I mean, there's several different ways of, of measuring this. They, they measure it uh, in uh, who helps, who's likely to help a stranger. They score very high in that. Uh, not as high as some other countries, but they're very high. Actually, there's quite a few countries that are hi- uh, higher in helping just a stranger. They're, they're not as big in that. Where they really uh, excel is uh, donating money to a charity. And why? Because their educational system is based on charity. We used to do that in America. Up until about 1910, most education was provided in this country through private means. And those private means depended heavily on charitable donations. But now that we have public school, that's diminished hugely. Now, actually, in America, we score higher than almost anybody else in being willing to help a stranger. Part of that is due to affluence. Uh, part of that is is left over from when America was great. It's a leftover as a part of our culture when America used to be great. Now it's just powerful. It's not great. It's bankrupt, but powerful. <laughs> uh, but anyway, now the uh, donating to charities, we we only scored like about sixty eight percent in that. You know, while you know, Mimma scores like ninety one percent. And you know, we're talking of GDP, so we're not doing as well in that. As a matter of fact, Canada scores higher than us, believe it or not. So does Ireland. Uh, and uh, there's other reasons why that is within the way they do things. Uh, they have a lot of Catholic schools in Ireland. <laughs> so that, that's going to boost that up because people are donating to keep those schools going. New Zealand is about... Actually, New Zealand is a little less than us in that. But we are one of the highest in being willing to help others across the board. You know, individual, just strangers in our midst. And that's great. That's That kind of stuff made us uh, great as a nation. We're actually the second highest in scoring generous uh, nation in the world. Canada is the third. Uh, Ireland is fourth. New Zealand is fifth. Australia is sixth. You know, that, this is all in those, those white people. <laughs> those nasty white people who destroyed the world and enslaved the world. They're the most charitable. <laughs> But you actually get down, the next one is Malaysia. And again, Malaysia is that way for a variety of reasons. You have to study the culture. There's a huge section of Malaysia, not a section, but of the population, that is not a part of the government of Malaysia. They don't get any benefits. They, you know, they're like, won't get the number kind of thing. And they, they have no place to meet. They don't have regular churches. They meet in cemeteries. And they elect their people in cemeteries. But their people don't exercise authority. That whole network of people that do this, and they're from an, another culture other than Malaysian culture, uh, 
but they live there and they live at peace. They're very peaceful people, but they take care of each other. So that, that boosts them, their overall numbers of charity. And they, they score pretty high, but not as high as, you know, New Zealand actually scores higher in helping the stranger. And part of that is because they're an island. That in, what I'm trying to point out here is, is the, um, is the nature of the structure of society. The fact that it's an island nation, the fact that, uh, or maybe has been war torn. UK is there under Malaysia. UK is very high too. Uh, then you get down to Sri Lanka, and of course Sri Lanka has been undergoing war and, and civil unrest, and they've had to help one another. So that's that's part of you know same with Trinidad and uh, Tobago. Uh, they're high up because of the fact that they've had a lot of difficulties and they've had to become charitable. We're going to get that opportunity too, so don't feel slighted. But that willingness to be charitable is what has made America great. That willingness to be responsible one for another is what makes America great. Uh, other countries like Norway is way down the line. Now, I'm not saying that Norwegian people are not as great because they actually do have this willingness to help other people. Sweden, uh, a lot of the people in Sweden have that, although now the, the demographics of those countries are changing. The, the fact is socialism... Long periods of time in socialism starts to erode that willingness to take care of one another. That that innate part of our responsibility that weakens us in that process. The fact that we, you know, right now the, the Lutheran church is the official church in Norway. That's the state church. Uh, and they've just accepted all kinds of ideas that are totally against the Bible. And that's the way they're operating. These all have an influence on it. So how do you turn around? You have to go back the way of Christ. You have to go back to what he actually said they was to do. And that means you have to take a look at the early church and start doing what they did. Meanwhile, you have to not get caught up in all the hype of the world. And so we're going to take a look at how to do that when we come back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we've been talking about fascism and anti-fascism and fachet. Fachet is that bundle of sticks. Uh, that that's actually from a Latin word that actually means you know it's a. I, I was trying to think. It's kind of third person singular, present, active, indicative <laughs> of the uh, of the word faccio. Faccio is the word I make, and so I make a bundle of sticks <laughs> by. But how do I make that bundle of sticks? How do I bring those sticks together? Do I do it by force? Or do I do it by love? 
well, I can't force love. You have to love. It's in, it's your responsibility to come together. And now I just talked about all these different countries that have this charity. And, and, and doing away with welfare and all these things without replacing it with a system of charity is counterproductive. It's that empty vessel. The vessel's virtually empty now. It's borrowing against the future in order to provide all these wonderful benefits you think you're getting, like free school and Social Security. I don't have to take care of my parents. Social Security Administration will take care of my parents. <laughs> That's because Social Security is a system of Corbin that makes the Word of God to none effect so that you do no more ought for your parents. You might live at their house, but you're not really providing for them. You're not... Providing them with a house and providing them with food and taking care of them, bringing them in, you know, changing their colostomy bag. And their, you're not doing all that stuff. You might be doing some of it, but you're not doing all of it. You're not their Medicare and their Medicaid. Somebody else is doing that. And once you realize that, now you got to start seeking to do that. Seeking how to do that. And in order to do that, you're going to need the means to do that. You're going to need the education. You're going to need the strength. You're going to need the health. Uh, you know, I talked about that, you know, I was going to, and I'll probably do this in the next show again and talk about the guy who was to the point where he couldn't even hardly walk. He'd gotten so heavy and uh, because of self-indulgence. And he needed help with that. Well, there's another guy who actually had the same problem. He was actually, he was um, trolling uh, weightlifters and stuff and, and mocking them and giving them a hard time on uh, the Internet. And so much of the weightlifters sought him out. Try to find this guy who was saying all this terrible stuff about them, you know, because they had their little group and everything. And they found him. And he's living in his mom's basement somewhere. And he weighed like 400, 500 pounds. I don't know. He was a very heavy guy. I don't know the actual details. And guess what? They started helping him. And they started bringing him to the gym. And they changed his diet. And he lost weight. They didn't. They didn't. They weren't mean to him. They tried to help him. They see that this guy had a problem. And he was lashing out with his anger instead of dealing with his problem. And they helped him lose weight and he got healthy again. What's the problem with that? Well, there's some great things there, but what's the poison? Is the fact that he didn't do it on his own. And that other guy, and we'll talk about it more, that other guy who lost all this weight was able to run and play ball with his kids. There's videos out on it and everything. I'll give you the names in the next show, maybe, so you can see the videos. Because it's really a great plan for losing weight. It's drastic, but, I mean, it's already drastic that he was that heavy. But what was the problem? What was the poison? Why did he gain all that weight back again? And then was able to lose it again, but only when you bring in certain things. And is he an independent stick? Is he standing alone? You, the reason you come together is to learn to stand alone. Because you have to come together in the character of Christ. This, that, this will strengthen you as an individual. It will actually, if you do it the way of, in the ways of God and Christ and Moses, your stick will actually bud and bear fruit. Okay? For those of you who've studied the Bible, you know what I'm referring to. But you have to come together like God has always wanted us to come together. Christ didn't come with a new message. He came with a renewing message. He didn't put wine in old wineskin. He took the kingdom away from a group and gave it to another group. And that group was very successful for about a thousand years. And then kings rose up and have been ruling over you ever since. And if you want to get back 
which is absolutely impossible, it will take a miracle. It will be a miracle if we get back to liberty. But you have, if you want to make that choice, this is, this is where it comes down to your individual choice of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You have to come together in faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. You have to do that. Because you have to be a doer of the word. And again, what does facet mean? It comes from facio, which means I make or I do. And what did Jesus say? You had to be a doer of the word. Not those who say they love Jesus and accept him into their heart as their personal savior, but those who actually do it. Because you can say it and be a liar. Many will say it, but they don't really know Christ because they're not a doer. You have to become a doer. Paul preached Christ first. You're not saved by what you do. There's no way you can be saved by what you do because you can't ever get to the point where God owes you because it is beyond your capacity to do. God has to intervene with a miracle. But He's not going to intervene in your life unless you start becoming a doer. Even if it's only a penny you give as a widow or a mite. You know, the widow's mite. You have to start participating with real care. Not This is not a formula where you get to just plug in, you know, and fill out the paperwork and then boom, you're in. It doesn't work that way. This is a spiritual kingdom bound together by spiritual reality. And I say spiritual reality. What is spiritual reality? Can you see spiritual reality? Can you touch spiritual reality? No. Not physically. Because it's not flesh and blood that's going to get you to where we got to go. It's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But there's a lot of evidence that you haven't been following the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you haven't been doing what the Holy Spirit says. And so anyway, we're talking about this charity and bringing back this charity and all this stuff. And a lot of that has to do with culture. What, uh, what is the culture of Christ? What is the culture of Christianity? Uh, what is cultural determinism? The idea that ideas, meanings, beliefs, and values of people learn as members of a society determines the dominant and recessive elements of human nature. Of the, of the members of that society. Well, we see the Antifa people claiming to be against fascism, but they're jumping on people and beating them with sticks and they're smashing things, all of which were tactics of fascists. <laughs> so, that, that, are the anarchist who wants to rule over everybody else, including their ATM machine. <laughs> They're not anarchists. They're archists. They want to be rulers. They just want to, don't want to be ruled. No, a true anarchist doesn't want to rule others. He doesn't want to be ruled. In itself, anarchism is not enough. You have to have the desire to love, to sacrifice for others, to be charitable to others, to care about justice for others. You can't be uh, macing some girl because she's wearing a red hat and... And hitting some guy because he supported Trump. Uh, you can't be doing that. And vice versa. You can't be doing that either. You know, one of the big things in the news is this supposedly ban on people entering the country. Most of the people talking about this have no idea how people entered the country back when America was great. It did. It wasn't. People were not vetted by the United States government. That's not what made us great. 
Although at this stage, I'm 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 all for them vetting, but uh, chances are they'll screw that up too. But the reality is is that uh, you have you have all kinds of things at play here. I actually I don't think we'll have enough time to go through it and still deal with uh, some of the issues that we have to deal with, which is these issues of. Uh, Christ came to create a nation that operated on charity. The Levites and Israel was a nation without taxes. The only tax you had to pay in Israel was a half shekel, which is like a dime or less than a dime, once a year. And that was just your ante up. And anybody else could pay it for you. And you, you know, if you were really poor and you didn't have that much, somebody else could just ante up for you. But you had to come together as if you cared about others as much as you cared about yourself. And when you start doing that, people start figuring out who's who. I mean, Passover. You had to bring enough people into one house to eat an entire lamb in one night. And so that forced them by the ritual to come together at least in home churches. But then you had the Feast of Tabernacles where all these home churches had to come together and out in the wilderness where they had to cook and share meals with each other and share food with each other and everything. Why aren't we having a Feast of Tabernacles that supersedes the size of Burning Man? <laughs> or a symbiosis or all these uh, groups where they get uh, 20,000, 50,000 people showing up. Why aren't we gathering in, in groups that we have a place to gather where we could have 50,000 people? Uh all gathering and taking care of one another and everything for a week. We could do that. Uh, and But I don't want to do that unless we have that same charitable network working and functioning for the other 360 days out of the year. But we got people chasing moons and and religious doctrines and all this stuff instead of doing what the early Israel did, what the early church did which was creating a social welfare system that was from the bottom up, that took care of all the needs and needs of society through faith, hope, and charity in a way that strengthened the poor. That's seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And you cannot do that unless you bind yourself together with faith, hope, and charity. That's a precept of the kingdom of God. That is the precept that giveth life. If you don't want to do that, hey, have at it. Go do whatever you want. But there's coming a time where you're going to get the same or even greater opportunities than they had in Sri Lanka and and uh, uh, Burma and Malaysia where they have difficulties. Remember we had used to have boat people coming from Malaysia. Australia still does because um, they had some really rough times there for a while. We're going to have that and ain't nobody going to be sending a boat for you. Yeah, and everybody's going to be complaining about, why are people helping me? I went to church. No, you didn't go to Christ. I accepted Jesus. No, you didn't. Uh, you accepted an idea about Jesus. Now, I'll admit, anybody who reads about Jesus and is attracted by Jesus is probably somewhat in the right path. But you have to follow that path. You have to follow that way. And there's lots of poison and pitfalls along the way, stumbling blocks along the way. And the, and the ways of the Nicolaitans is one of those stumbling blocks. And the ways of the Nicolaitans are the ways of the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. It is the, you know, the greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. Who said that? Plutarch. That was before Christ. That's 
the message. You want, you have to create a system that has benefits based on charity or you will not be free. You will not have liberty back. You're not going to get the liberty back with a vote. You're not going to get it back with electing a leader who's very strong. You're probably going to corrupt him. No matter what, how good his intentions were at the beginning, you're going to corrupt him. The United States government, which has got a million mistakes and at least four missing elements in the Constitution in order to be a biblical document, is responsible for protecting the borders. That's what it's. That's what it says in that document. Now, personally, I think I'm responsible. <laughs> I don't. I don't relinquish my responsibility in that. But if, as they do exist, that's one of their jobs. And, uh, but they should not be vetting everybody who comes in. You know how people used to come in. This will give you a little insight for those of you who haven't heard this. Before Ellis Island, and even after Ellis Island was created. If you wanted to come into this country, you might run into, you know, a federal border guard. And you would hold up a piece of paper that was a contract with somebody who was an American citizen. An American citizen. I didn't say U.S. citizen. I said American citizen because they were probably citizens of the state. This is back in the early 1800s. And they would see that contract. And since they could not impair the obligation of contract, they would let you in. But they were responsible for the borders. But they couldn't impair the obligation of contract. Now, they got the idea that they can impair the obligation of contract because people were bringing in diseases. You know, like tuberculosis or syphilis or what have you. And if you could not pass the physical, there was a danger. It's like you having a bomb strapped around you. <laughs> and you want to come in. You can't hold up a contract and say, I want to come in with this bomb strapped on my chest. And he said, you can't come in because that bomb's going to hurt other people. I can't impair his power to contract, but I have an obligation to protect other people from that walking time bomb of disease that is in you. So, Ellis Island. And he started vetting the people based on that. Now we have to supposedly vet them based on ideology. And the reality is, is the people that have been put in place to vet them are bringing in ideologies that are contrary to what made America great. Because they're actually in your schools, and your universities, they're teaching those principles to your children. They're, it's laced in every, in every school book, even down on the grade school level. The fact that you're even sending your kids to public school is telling your kids that socialism is okay. How do you change that? How do you go back? You have participated in a cultural appropriation of I, an idea. Of the elements of a culture that say that socialism is okay. The fact that your parents are on social security. You're saying social security, uh, socialism is okay. Medicare, Medicaid, socialism is okay. You can't get away from that though. All those old people would die and starve. What you have to do is start creating. Start turning around. Start walking in the other direction. Start creating a society that is operating with a cultural appropriation of appropriating the plan of Christ. What the early church was doing. People gathering together to take care of one another. Even if it's only to supplement their social security, cut firewood for them, or whatever they need help. 
with. You got to start somewhere going back the other way. And you're going to need to, you know, you'll probably have to put that on the fast track pretty soon. But I hope God gives us more time because you've got a long ways to go. You have, you're nowhere. Cultural determinism is this idea meaning of beliefs and values of the people learn as members of a society determines the dominant and recessive elements of human nature. You're teaching your children to be socialists. You're teaching your children not to be Christian while you're saying you're a Christian. That you're following Christ. You're look, if you're looking in any way, shape, or form to men who call themselves benefactors but only supply a benefit by exercising authority, you're anti-Christ. You're going against what Christ said to do. And you don't even know it. But I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to call you to repentance. I'm here to call you to turn around and let's start doing it the other way. Gather together. Now, I've already done, like I say, nine, ten hours on this document explaining things like which we've explained many times, but just as you see, you, if you look out there in the world and you see uh, the liberals, you explain things and you show them. I mean, everything that uh, basically has been uh, done to uh, bet people from certain countries is all done legally. It's very clear. I, I posted the law. You look, Go to Preparing You and look up Roadmap. Capital Road, Capital Map. Look it up. There we have links to the law. You can look at it. Now, I'm not in favor. I don't think that that's the solution. But you see these people not understanding. And there's a very funny video there that was put together by somebody. And it just It's great. Uh, what shows other presidents saying exactly what this, this uh, order of the chief executive officer was to do. It was in compliance with laws these other presidents passed. But then they're criticizing him for actually doing what they said they were doing. And that's the amazing thing is that he's just... And I, I believe they'll screw it up. But they're only talking about... And some people have only been detained for a few hours. Uh, it's not like... You know, there's, there's a huge amount of hype. And meanwhile, while all this hype is going on, what's really going on behind the scenes is they're ushering in a cashless society. Which, if you have heard our other videos or audios on, on that subject... Uh, you've already got a cashless society because <laughs> notes are not cash by the definition 50 years ago. Notes are a promise of cash. Cash is actually a value and notes are not a value. But anyway, that's another whole topic. But the point is, is they're actually not even going to have that paper notes in many societies. They're, Sweden will probably be the first in Europe to go that route. Uh, they're probably the closest. Uh, they're certainly doing it in India. Uh, all over the world, they're decreasing the amount of uh, cash available and the amount of, you know, what I call cash, what you call cash, notes available. And you can't have transactions over a certain amount. And this is just sweeping around while everybody doesn't know it. Now we have a few judges that are trying to put stays on these orders of the, the president to vet these people from certain countries. And um, people don't get it. You know, way back, if people can remember, Clinton was held up Air Force One on the tarmac while he got his hair cut. And that was headline news that he held up. Air I mean, where's Air Force One going to go anyway? 
it's 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 Air Force One. He's the only one who can fly in it. Anyway, if he wants to hold it up, go ahead and hold it. But that was a big news. And they tried to make criticism. You know, that same day, he fired every federal judge in the United States and then rehired them under a different plan. Did you did you guys hear about that? You didn't hear about that? Do you have any idea what was actually going on? No, you don't. You don't know how the system works. The same as the guy who wrote this, America, Stevens, whatever, Stephen America, who wrote this, he doesn't understand how the church works. I'd love to teach him, but he doesn't want to talk to us, not in a constructive way. Uh, maybe he does now that we've mentioned that, and we're, we're all willing to do it. That's what I'm on the radio here telling you. That's what I'm making these hundreds of audios explaining how the church works. It's really simple. Now, some of the technicalities of it, and how to maneuver through the maze of laws in the world today in Australia and the United States and in all these other countries. Yeah, we have some people that are experts in that and have studied that and have done their homework and they know what they're talking about. But if you don't know what Christ was talking about, it's not going to do you any good. And if you were coming up and trying to teach me the technicalities of the law after I've spent 50 years studying it or more, uh, don't expect me to drop everything and listen to you. Uh, especially if you start off with a, a plan that doesn't include the plan of Christ. There's all kinds. Everybody, I know all kinds of people who want to be free. I don't all know all kinds of people who want to be responsible in the way that Christ said to be responsible for one another, which is to love one another, which is to give charity for one another, to take care of one another. Uh, Jesus was a genius when it comes to creating a governmental structure that sets men free. And your pastors are not teaching you that. They're deluding you. They want, to, they want you to become a part of their church in order to end up living comfortably. And, I mean, I'm not going to condemn all of them, but they they are the blind leading the blind. I'm not going to condemn anyone. People are condemning themselves because they're not really going the way of Christ. They're not doing. They're not doers of the word. And I'm going to have all kinds of people come to me and complain to me why we're not helping them after they've known me for five years, ten years, and hasn't even begun to participate in a congregation of record. Like, I can keep track of everybody, thousands of people out there. I can't do it. God won't even let me remember their names. <laughs> That's why, because he wants us to focus on this network concept, which... Israel did, the early church did, and it requires that you come together in the Spirit of Christ. Until then, may peace be upon your house, and may God be with you. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.